really hope that RUF can be that sort of place for you. Sorry, let me find a place to put my phone. We're going to do this. That's how this is going to work. Awesome. All right. Um, so, yeah, we hope that RUF can be a place where you can come and rest. It can be a place where you can come and bring your questions. Um, wherever you find yourself on the, belief, or the uh, spectrum of belief to unbelief, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, and so this semester we're going to be doing a series called uh, Songs That Shape Us. I really like this graphic. It's really good. Uh, and we're going to be studying in the Psalms. The Psalms. So the Psalms are a book in uh, the Old Testament. And for those of us who might not know, it's, it's kind of about halfway through the Bible almost. You might hit Isaiah, but the Psalms are there as well. And what are the Psalms? What are the Psalms? They're uh, most directly, they're the hymn book of the people of God. So these songs that we've been singing, you know, already tonight, they're, they're songs that we sing together in public worship. And that's what the Psalms were supposed to be. The Psalms were songs that were written over the course of Israel's history that were supposed to uh, be sung in public worship. And within the Psalms, we're going to see throughout the semester, there's a wide variety of emotion. There's a wide variety of experiences that are accounted for. So just throughout the semester, we're going to look at things like anger at God. We're going to look at things like jealousy, depression, anxiety, happiness, and everything in between. And we'll see, as it says up there, that the Psalms actually meet us where we are in these things, and they take us where we need to go. So that's what the Psalms are, but, but the question remains, maybe, why study the Psalms? Why study the Psalms? Isn't RUF about Jesus? And isn't Psalms in the Old Testament? doesn't talk about Jesus as much. So I'm going to give us three reasons why we should study the Psalms, why we should be doing this. And the first reason is that the Psalms show us Jesus. They show us Jesus. Uh, something that we don't think about enough is that Jesus was not a uh, white American male. Do you think about that? Jesus was actually a Middle Eastern Jewish man. And he was raised on the Psalms. He would have sung the Psalms every single week. It would have been part of who he was. We actually see this in the New Testament when Jesus starts talking about uh, himself, when he describes himself. He actually quotes the Psalms more than any other book. So when we look at the Psalms, we're actually... We're looking at Jesus. We're looking at how he understood himself. So the Psalms show us Jesus. But secondly, the Psalms also show us what relationship with God feels like. So whether you're here tonight and you're you know, a committed Christian and you've been here for a long time, or uh, whether you're new to Christianity or you're just kind of questioning things, the Psalms can help us to see what it feels like to have a relationship with God. And then third and finally, the Psalms show us how to pray. So throughout church history, the Psalms have been not only things that have been sung in public worship, but they've also been a guide for prayer. So if you're here and you're thinking about how, how can I connect with God, right? Have you ever tried to pray and just not really known where to start? I know I have. The Psalms are a good guide for that. The Psalms show us how we can meet with God in the midst of whatever we're going through. And this evening, we're going to be looking at the very first Psalm, Psalm 1. Uh, and as we, we turn to think about this passage together, I want you to think, through, think with me real quick about this question. Um, have, you been, have you ever been asked a loaded question? Like a question that uh, it didn't really seem honest, seemed like there might have been ulterior motives in it? I have. Uh, very recently, actually, uh, by my wife, which will be a fun story. Um, so over the break, my wife and I, were tra we traveled from uh, Nebraska. We had just moved here. And then we traveled all the way back to North Carolina. It was an 18-hour drive, really long. Uh, so we drove back to North Carolina, and then once we got there, we both got sick. And we were sick all through Christmas. And it was really, 
difficult in that way. And then we decided to come back about three days later, both still sick. And we drove, uh, we tried to break the trip up. So we drove from North Carolina, where I'm from, to Knoxville, Tennessee, which is just about four hours. And we woke up that next morning and we're like, okay, we've got to get back to Nebraska today. So if you're good at math, that's 14 hours that we had to make in one day. And a uh, little fact about me, I, food is a very powerful motivator for me. Uh, so I decided to, in order to like incentivize this drive, I was going to plan out where we were going to eat on the way. And in particular, there was a Chick-fil-A in Paducah, Kentucky, that I was very excited about stopping at. We had stopped there before. It was a delightful experience. So I was like, we're going to stop at this Chick-fil-A. And as we're going through, uh, we're, going, we're, we're driving, and we start getting closer to Paducah, and it's like right around noon. And it's like, okay, the lunch rush, like maybe this is not the best idea. And then we start getting closer, and there's traffic. And it's like, okay, like, well, you know, I still really want to go to Chick-fil-A. And it just becomes apparent that this, it's not a good idea for us to stop at this Chick-fil-A. And we start to remember, it's actually like two miles off the highway. So it's just, it's a bad idea for us to do it. And yet I am still committed to going to this Chick-fil-A. And in the midst of this, my wife uh, looks up and my wife Molly is not here this week. She's great. I promise she exists. You'll get to meet her at some point. Um, but she says in the most sincere way that she possibly could, she said, so uh, do you want to stop here and wait in traffic forever and be totally stressed out? Or, or do you want to keep going for a bit and meet somewhere else? Just like, is that a, is that a question? Uh, yeah, yes. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Like like, what was she actually asking in that question? She was basically asking me, do you want to make the right decision and not stop here, or do you want to make the wrong decision and stop here? The question was very persuasive. And this psalm that we're looking at tonight, it's actually like Molly's question to me. It's persuasive. It's a persuasive picture in particular. It's a persuasive picture of the good life. And it's a picture of the good life that's not neutral. It makes, it makes no uh, a mistake about what it's trying to advocate for. It's trying to advocate for something. And it does this through painting a contrast of two ways or lifestyles. So you're going to be hearing about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked in this passage. And in verse 1 of this psalm, we're going to read of a blessed person. Uh, and the word blessed, even the way that I pronounce it, you're like, that's a pretty religious word, right? We don't really say blessed in popular culture very much. You might say hashtag blessed, but not blessed. That's a different thing. Um, but what this word actually means in this passage, it, it just means happy. It means happy, a happy man. Or you could say a person who is crushing it. One commentator actually says, uh, describes this word here, he says, the blessed man described here is someone who is living a high-five-worthy life. Living a high-five-worthy life. And so our text here describes this person living the good life, and they contrast it with the life of the wicked person. And so this psalm aims to provide clarity on this central question of what is the good life. And here in Nebraska, we, we might know something about the good life. It might be an important question for us to think about. But really, it's, it's a fundamental desire that we all have fundamental desire to know that what we're doing matters, to know that we're living the right way, to know that we're not just fooled with the choices that we make, to know that we are headed in the right direction. And in response to this desire, this psalm gives us a clear answer. And this is going to be kind of our big idea for tonight. The good life is being in relationship with God. The good life is being in relationship with God. 
But what are the benefits of being in relationship with God? Why is it so good? Why is it that that is a good life? What do we get out of it? And there's three things that we're going to talk about tonight. The first is guidance. The second, purpose. And the third, security. So guidance, purpose, and security. So I'm going to read this passage for us real quick, and then we can jump right in. All right, so Psalm 1, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, this is your word that you have given us. We pray that uh, we would receive it as such, or that we would be thankful for it. We thank you that you have uh, given us this psalm, that you've given us a picture of what the good life looks like. I pray, Lord, that we would be people who are not scared to long for the good life. Um, Lord, that we would look inward, that we would look and see if we're actually living in relationship with you or not. I pray that you would give us clarity. I pray that you would give us courage and give us understanding as we turn to your words. And above all, I ask that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things out of your word. And all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the good life is relationship with God. And what that means is first, guidance. Guidance. So if you would look with me to verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So we see here that, that this blessed man, this happy man, is first noted as a person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, who doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. And what's happening here? This is uh, these different terms here. We have uh, wicked, sinners, scoffers. Uh, in particular, when we hear sinners, we might think of how uh, Christians tend to use that word, right? We'll say that we're a sinner saved by grace. What that means is that, you know, we, we are people who sin, and we've repented of that sin, and Jesus loved us. And that's a fine usage of the word, but that's not actually what's happening here in this passage. In this passage, these words are meant to describe someone who is living out of relationship with God. So it doesn't mean someone who struggles with sin. It means someone who is in open rebellion to God and his ways. So we see here that living out of relationship with God is characterized first by walking in the counsel of the wicked. And what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in the way of someone? I think it means that you start accepting things. You start accepting things that at one time seemed wrong to you. They start to look appealing. And then standing in the way of sinners, it, that just means that you're aligning yourself with what is evil. And then third, sits in the seat of scoffers. Finally, you get to a point where you scoff at the idea of relationship with God. And what we got described here is a progressive numbing. Right? First you're walking in their way, then finally you're standing with them, and then finally you just sit down and give up. This is what life out of relationship with God looks like. There's no sure guide, so you just end up doing what people tell you to do. And the happy man says no 
to all of this. We see that the, the blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. And he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. But what does he do? Is being happy just saying no to things, right? Some of us might have been raised in circles where being a Christian just meant saying no to things that were seemed like pretty fun. Is that what's happening here? No, that's not what's happening here. We see that the, the, the blessed happy man is characterized by delight. By delight. What do you think about that? Is that, is that where, how, if somebody asks me, you know, what, is, what does it mean to be a Christian? Is delight, like, in the first 50 words that would come to mind? Probably not for me a lot of times. But what's this delight about? It says, the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord. He's enabled to say no to the way of the wicked. He's enabled to say no to progressively numbing because he's rooted in something, because he has a sure guide. And his guide, it says here, the law of the Lord. And that's just kind of a short, like, kind of shorthand term meaning scripture, the Bible. His guide is the Bible, and he delights in it. And we see the, the delight here, it says, uh, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's not just a matter of, right, like taking a picture in the morning for Instagram so you can look good, people can know that you're super spiritual and you had your quiet time. No, this is something a little bit more than that. This is a deep desire or longing for God's word. So we see here the first mark of the good life is being consumed with delight in God and in his word. Constantly thinking about it. Turning it over in your mind. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean? I think first we, we can come away with the idea that the good life doesn't mean doing whatever you want. And that might be hard for some of us to hear, right? Especially in college, it's really great to have all this new freedom. You basically, in college, you get to live like a kid but have adult freedoms, and it's awesome, right? Pretty amazing. But we see here that happiness doesn't mean doing whatever you want. No, it means delighting in the law of the Lord. And that means that following Jesus doesn't mean enjoying yourself less. It doesn't mean enjoying yourself less. It actually means enjoying yourself more. It means that you're living according to your created design. Uh, theologian St. Augustine said it like this. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. In following and meditating and delighting in God's word, we're actually living how we're supposed to. We're living according to our created design. So if we want to truly be happy, we need to be in relationship with God. We're not going to find it outside of that. What else? We also learn that we don't have to chart our own course. This is good news, right? We don't have to figure everything out on our own. We have a guide. We're not left in the dark to figure things out. We don't have to decide what's right for us or what's wrong for us. There, there is a standard. We're given the truth. And what does a world look like where we're left to figure things out on our own? Has anybody ever read any uh, Thomas Hobbes, Leviathan? He's a political philosopher. I was a political science major in college. In any case, he describes a world where you're left to figure things out on your own, where there's no God, where there's no sovereign. And here's the words that he famously described this as. He says, in such a world, the life of man is solitary, nasty, brutish, and short. Does that sound fun to you? 
Solitary, nasty, brutish, and short. Friends, I've got good news for you. That's not reality. That's not the world that we live in. We have God's word. And the good life is found in delighting in it. So relationship with God gives us guidance. That's the first thing we see here. But it also gives us purpose. And we see this in verses 3 and 4. And verses 3 and 4 kind of give us two illustrations here. And we see that this is kind of, again, this is not a neutral picture, right? It's giving us a picture of the good life, and it's advocating for it. And we see this especially in these two illustrations here. The first one, listen, listen with me here. It says of the, uh, of the righteous, blessed man, it says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. How beautiful is that? Right? That's a beautiful, beautiful description. Like, who in their right mind would not want to be like that? No one. We want to be like that. And we see from this description, right, the, the, the person who's like a tree. What does it mean to be like a tree? Well, it means that you have roots. You have roots that you're not just going to get pushed over willy-nilly. Like, you are, you are grounded, literally. But second, it means that you have nourishment. That you don't have to worry about where your next meal is going to come from. You don't have to worry about where your energy is going to come from. But third, it also means that you're productive. If you think about a tree, they take in water from their roots, and they don't just, like, put water out. What do they put out? Put out fruit. They transform the things that are given to them, and they make it into something useful. And finally, this person is constant. It says of this man that his leaf does not wither and all that he does prospers. This is a beautiful picture. This person is constant. It's a person who has roots. They're nourished. Ultimately, this is a person who has purpose. Who doesn't want to be like that? But then we have uh, the other image. It's a little bit less flattering. It says, the wicked are not so. Literally, it says, not so, the wicked. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So rather than being like a tree, we have chaff. Is anybody familiar with what chaff is? I say chaff, but familiar. So in an agrarian society such as Israel that this was written to, this would have made a lot of sense. So the way that they would do things with farming, whenever they would bring the harvest in, they would have uh, like the, the, the wheat and the barley and all that stuff, and they would put it in this giant bowl. And then they would like shake the bowl, and then they would toss it up in the air. And the chaff, which is the casing that goes around the useful part of the wheat, would just be blown away in the wind. And then the useful part would fall down into the bowl. And so the image that we're given here is that the person who is in relationship with God is like this beautiful, productive, fruited tree. And the person out of relationship with God is like chaff. Useless. And so the question basically that it's asking us here is like, you want to have a great life, or do you want to have a terrible life? <laughs> Which one? So what does this question mean for us? How, how does it hit you? I think this means that if we're looking anywhere other than God for purpose, we're not going to find it. Nothing other than God is big enough to give us the purpose that we're looking for. And, so, and you know, it, it's pretty easy to say, especially if you're a Christian, well, of course I'm looking to God, right? Only God is my purpose. But ask yourself this question. What, what are the things in your life that uh, you just could not be okay if you didn't have? Right? Everybody has it. Maybe it's uh, good grades. Maybe it's beauty. 
Maybe it's your, your reputation being seen as a uh, involved person on campus. Maybe it's being woke. Maybe it's having a social media following. Maybe it's uh, parents' approval. If that's you, I, I just want to ask, how's that going? Are that not too well all the time? What does it feel like when you don't have those things? Friends, God is the only thing big enough that can handle the weight of our desires. He's the only one who can give us purpose. He's the only one that can make us rooted. He's the only one that can make us established. The relationship with God gives us purpose. But the last thing we see here is that relationship with God gives us purity. So look with me to verses 5 and 6. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we see this, uh, this contrast that's been developing between the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous here. And we see it in relationship to the future. We see that uh, the, the future of the way of the wicked could be characterized by anxiety and isolation. So we see this with, with anxiety. It says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. So those who are out of relationship with God, they will not be able to stand in the judgment. And the picture that the Bible, the Bible paints is that there will be a judgment one day where God will judge everyone. And what it's saying here is that if you're out of relationship with God, you're not going to have a leg to stand on. And so that's anxiety, because you know this judgment day is coming. Have you ever taken a test that you uh, absolutely did not study for? Or you wake up on, like, it's, imagine, like, you wake up on Monday, and you're a poli-sci major. I don't mean to pick on poli-sci majors. I was a poli-sci major. So you have to take the MCAT on Friday. Like, what? It's not going to go well. Like, you have impending doom coming at you on Friday. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like to be out of a relationship with God. You don't have hope. You don't have an advocate. Anxiety. But we also see that it's, it, it's, it's not just anxiety about the future. It's an ongoing reality in their lives. It says that sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. And remember, this doesn't mean people who sin, right, because we all sin. This means people out of relationship with God will not have a home in the worshiping community. So life should be characterized by anxiety and isolation. But what about the way of the righteous? The way of the righteous will actually be characterized by being known by God and being known by others. We see the future hope and the ongoing reality of the righteous person in verse 6 here. It says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. What, what does that word mean there? No. When we think about knowing, we might just be, you know, thinking like intimate, or we, we might just be thinking like kind of like a familiarity, like you know the people that you see walking around campus. And actually, that, that's kind of part of what's being said here, but it's actually a little bit more. It's meant to be this personal investment, this intimate knowledge, the way that a, a, a husband knows his wife. It's actually, you know, the phrase knowing in the biblical sense, that's actually what they mean here. It's that level of intimacy that is being shown. So rather than anxiety and isolation, the person who is righteous will enjoy security with God and community with others. They'll enjoy the congregation of the righteous. And so a relationship with God means that ultimately you can be intimate with God and you can be intimate with others. 
So again, the contrast here is uh, do you want to be anxious and isolated for the rest of your life? Or do you want to be known by God and known by others for the rest of your life? And so this section tells us that ultimately the security that we long for, the future hope that we long for, it can only be found in relationship with God. And this might be counterintuitive because uh, relationships for many of us haven't really felt secure. Many of us might have relationships with our parents that are very much built on how well we're doing. We might have relationships that we, we constantly have to keep up appearances because we're worried that the other person going to leave. And if that's you, I, I want to tell you, God's not like that. God pursues us. He doesn't hold a carrot out in front of you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. That's what God's like. But what if you're here today and you're feeling lonely, right? This picture of anxiety and isolation, it, it kind of describes your present experience. If that's you, I want, to, I want to tell you that there is a sure hope that is offered to you in Jesus. If you're anxious, there is a sure hope. You can have a future in Christ. And there's also a family for you. When you're reconciled to God, you're also reconciled to others. You're not left alone. This section offers us security. So we've seen what relationship with God looks like. I'm just going to drop there. So the question we should ask after that, of course, is how do we get relationship with God? The psalm is, you know, it, it's advocating it, it's saying it's so amazing, but then the natural question is like, what, how do I get it? Like, how do I get this amazing thing? And I've hinted at this a couple times throughout, but I, but I just want to go ahead and make sure that this is abundantly clear. The way that we get relationship with God is only through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus can we enjoy this sort of relationship only available through Christ. And the Bible actually tells the story that we were created for relationship with God. If you're familiar with the first couple chapters of the Bible in Genesis, it talks about how Adam and Eve, who were our first parents, they, they walked in the garden in the cool of the day with God. They were created to know this sort of intimacy with God that we describe in this passage. They were able to delight in God. They received guidance from him. They enjoyed all of these things that we talked about. But if you know the story, then you know that it didn't last. That eventually we chose something else. We chose to be our own gods. We didn't want guidance. We wanted to be our own gods. And we see that this is, this is a tragic act that had ripple effects throughout all of history, right? Shortly after this choice is made, we see things coming onto the scene like murder. We see family strife. We see frayed relationships. We see abusive relationships. And just general sadness, all of this comes to the scene because of this choice that we made, the first sin of our parents. And where that leaves us now is that people are a glorious ruin, right? We're created for relationship with God. We once enjoyed it, and yet we don't have it. We have a longing for relationship with God, but we can't get it. And because of the tragic effects of that decision, because of the tragic effects of sin, we can't work our way up to God. What are we going to do? Thankfully, God did something. Something had to be done, and God was the one who had to do it. In John 14, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus says that he is the way to bring us to relationship with God. I think it's important to note what he doesn't say there. Jesus doesn't say that being a good person is the way. Jesus doesn't say that being nice is the way. Jesus doesn't say that being a super moral person is the way. Now, he says, I am the way. Jesus is the way. But how did he do this? How could he say such a bold claim like this? How could he be the way? He did it on the cross. Read about this in Colossians 1. It says, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Friends, Jesus went to the cross so that you could know the joy of a relationship with God. And by trusting in Jesus, you can have all the benefits of the good life. It's going to be your experience. You can know God intimately. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, and, and the description of the good life really didn't kind of fit with you. It's not what your daily reality felt like. Or maybe you're here tonight, and, and you don't even know if this is something that you want. I just want to tell you that the hope for all of us in this is relationship with God. And Jesus is offered to each and every one of us freely. So can we afford to stay away? No. Let's look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you um, that you have made a way or that you uh, give us this blessed life that you um, didn't leave us to figure things out on our own. No, Lord, you gave us guidance. You gave us uh, ultimately a relationship with you, and you did this on the cross. I pray um, that we would taste and see that, or that those of us who are Christians um, would feel uh, built up in that. Those of us who are considering for the first time would, would see your beauty and would have the courage to ask, wow, maybe I am, maybe I am missing out on something and to ask more about you. Lord, I pray that you would um, just encourage us and equip us with everything that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.